chill, an uneasy feeling that you're not alone. Don't worry, it's just a ghost. A shout out to Tia Mayhem and Tanya Venom of Stormstress for providing the incredible intro music for this podcast. Welcome to It's Just a Ghost. I am your host, Mary Jensen. You may remember David J. Schmidt when I interviewed him for episode 12 on this podcast. On this episode, David has given me permission to read a little bit from his book, Holy Ghosts. Here is a partial synopsis from Holy Ghosts, True Tales from a Haunted Christian College by David J. Schmidt. When doors and windows open on their own, when footsteps echo down an empty hall, when shadows move in the darkness and voices whisper when no one is around, what's going on? These are the experiences that stick with us, frighten us, incite our imaginations, and ultimately, connect us to the past. Skeptics and believers alike are sure to be captivated by author David J. Schmidt's case study of Point Loma Nazarene University, a private Christian college in California that is filled with tales of poltergeists and apparitions. You are invited to join him in this search, if you dare. His books can be purchased through Amazon, and are also available on his website at holyghoststories.com. From Holy Ghosts, True Tales from a Haunted Christian College, copyright 2015, David J. Schmidt, all rights reserved. Reading from Chapter 4, Screams in the Dark, Campus of PLNU, 1978. Jim is working the late shift, one overcast, foggy June evening. This is a sleepy time of year. All the students are away on summer vacation. The only people left on campus are a handful of employees. Jim is a middle-aged security guard hired by the college years ago after he finished a tour of duty in Vietnam. His job is simple. Walk around the campus, check that all of the buildings are locked and secure, Make sure nobody's getting into trouble. It's an easy place to work security. The most action Jim has ever seen was giving out three parking tickets in one afternoon. The church kids who attend this college seem to always have smiles on their faces. They're all so polite to Jim and so friendly and just so nice and Jim can't help but be happy with his job. As he walks the perimeter of the campus over and over, Jim twirls his big ring of keys around his index finger. He spins all the keys around the metal ring and lets them land in the palm of his hand with a rhythmic metallic sound. Swing, ching, swing, ching, swing, ching. At one end of the ring are all the shiny brass keys to the newer buildings on campus. At the other end are a couple old-fashioned skeleton keys the kind used for the old rusty locks that nobody ever bothers to open. Jim whistles a tune by the Rolling Stones. It's a routine evening, part of an ordinary day in the life of an ordinary security guard. Walking down the service road, the one that runs alongside the cliffs at the edge of the ocean, 
is by far the most scenic part of Jim's evening rounds. The sun is blood red and tired as it dips below the horizon and slowly sinks into the vast gray ocean. Jagged veins of pink and orange cut into the sky above the horizon, like some upside down tree digging its roots into the heavens. Jim follows the road uphill, past a couple of dormitories. The fog is settling in thick now, blanketing the campus. As Jim passes by a large pine tree, the sound of his keys startles a flock of crows. The blackbirds take off and disappear into the fog. Murder, Jim thinks. He remembers something he learned from an episode of Jeopardy recently. It's not called a flock of crows. You call it a murder of crows. With the sun behind the horizon, the campus takes on a somber, melancholy look. A few solitary lights penetrate the mist. At this point in the evening routine, Jim does a walkthrough of the main buildings on campus. He enters each building one by one, makes sure everything is secure, and locks the doors on his way out. He whistles as he walks between stops, still twirling those keys. Then he comes to Cabrillo Hall. This building is only two stories tall, but there's still something overpowering about it. Jim looks up at the windows, the columns, the white paneling of an old Victorian structure. He runs his fingers through his thinning salt and pepper hair. Jim realizes that he stopped twirling his keys for a moment. He takes a deep breath, unlocks the front door, and walks in. The place is dark and quiet. There is a tired, musty smell that always reminds Jim of a church rectory or the parlor in his grandmother's house. Directly in the front of the main entrance is the staircase leading up to the second floor. Jim looks at the tiny stairs. There's something unsettling, almost grotesque, about their proportions, as if someone had taken a normal Victorian house and melted it, distorting its features. Of course, Jim's heard the stories about why the steps are so small. This was her house. Madame Tingley had the staircase custom built, they say. She thought her ghost would walk up and down the tiny stairs in the afterlife. Jim gets the chills. He always feels watched when he's in there. Jim shakes off the sensation and tries to treat Cabrillo Hall like any other routine building check. He checks each individual room and makes sure the windows are securely shut. The floor creaks as Jim walks across it. Of course it creaks, it's an old building. It's bound to creak. No cause for concern. He continues to twirl his keys. Swing, ching, swing, ching, as he heads up the tiny stairs towards the second level. Jim has to turn on his flashlight once he reaches the top of the staircase. All the lights are turned off inside the building, and the sun has completely set by now. The silence and groom swallow the sound of Jim's feet on the soft carpet as he walks from one room to another. He makes a conscious effort to keep swinging his keys because he realizes that if he stops, it will be quiet enough to hear his own heartbeat in his ears. Ever since he was a child, Jim has found that noise can be disturbing. It always sounds like footsteps. Swing, ching, swing, ching. 
the noise keeps Jim distracted. Something about this building really activates Jim's imagination. He thinks of the rumors he's heard about the old lady who used to live there. She used to call up the spirits, they say, right here in this house. Jim's mind conjures up images from the horror movie he recently saw, Rosemary's Baby. He can picture the devil worshippers in the film, chanting in the dark, standing around Rosemary in their black cloaks. And then Jim stops twirling his keys. He stops and listens. He can hear something, a noise coming from beneath his feet. From somewhere on the lower level of the building, he turns his head and listens. It's a woman screaming. Jim runs down the stairs crying out. Hello, who's there? Can I help you? The beam of his flashlight bobs up and down, casting quick bursts of light all over the white wall paneling. Jim's keys are jingling in his right hand. The sweaty palm of his left hand almost loses grip of the flashlight and he hits the bottom of the stairs. The screaming has stopped. For a moment, Jim wonders if he has gone deaf. Why would he suddenly not be able to hear a person screaming? And then he realizes he can still hear the crickets chirping outside. His hearing is fine. The screaming just abruptly stopped. Jim checks every room here on the first floor of Cabrillo Hall. Nothing, not a single desk out of place. Not a single piece of chalk missing from the chalkboards. Everything is still just as he left it. Somebody must have been in here. I'm sure I heard a voice. Jim inspects every door and every window. Everything is locked. The fear is creeping up the back of his neck at this point, crawling across the top of his skull. Something is very, very wrong with all of this. Jim stands in the room facing the street directly beneath the spot where he had been when he heard the screaming. His flashlight casts a circle of bright light on the carpet next to his feet. The keys are now hanging limply in his right hand. He scratches his head, and then he hears it again. It's the voice of a woman screaming bloody murder, like a caged animal, screaming like nothing in the world will ever be able to help her again and it's still coming from beneath Jim's feet. For a second, he is baffled. Where the hell is this coming from? Then Jim remembers that there is one more level to this building. There's a basement. Jim runs out of the front door of the building, dashes across a patch of grass and cuts around the corner to the stone staircase leading down the basement. He flies down the steps and stops in front of the basement door, breathing hard. Jim fumbles with his key ring, looking for an old raw iron skeleton key that will open this lock. He tries to get his mind to focus. Somebody's in trouble, he thinks. She's stuck in there. She's in trouble and she needs my help. Jim finds the key at last. He maneuvers it into the rusty lock of the doorknob. After he turns it to unlock the door, he tries pushing it open, but the door won't budge. Jim has to back up a couple of steps and hurl the weight of his body against the door to shoulder it open. It gives reluctantly. The basement is a gapping hole of black silence. Jim points his flashlight inside. For a moment, the only thing Jim can see is a cloud of dust 
kicked up by the door. He steps in slowly. As the dust settles, he can make out the vague shapes of boxes, gardening equipment, items stacked haphazardly on top of one another. Jim walks straight into a cobweb and swipes at his face frantically, almost dropping his flashlight and keys. Once he regains his composure, he sweeps the beam of his light methodically across the basement left to right. The only thing that moves is a steady shadow of the boxes and tools, elongating as Jim turns the flashlight. The only sound is Jim's own heavy breathing. Jim points the flashlight at the floor to see if there are any footprints in the dust. He takes a step backwards, scanning the floor carefully with his flashlight, making out the shape of his own boots prints. Crash! Jim is on the floor. He looks up to see what knocked him down. Then he chuckles. It's a crumpled cardboard box. He tripped over it as he was walking backwards. He laughs again, breaking the tension. Jim's eyes have adjusted to the dark by now, and he can clearly see that there is nothing out of the ordinary down here. Nothing but a musty old basement full of cobwebs and dust. Quoted from Jim, Well, I guess I've done all I can do. This is the part where I report the incident to the headquarters. Then I chuckle and forget about the whole thing. Time for me to clock out for the night. I'll go home, crack open a beer, and watch a little TV. And I let it all fade into the past like a bad dream. I'm done here. End of quote. Jim stands up, brushes the dust off his pants, and shuts off his flashlight. That's when he hears it. The same screaming voice, and it's still coming from beneath his feet. Flashlight slips from his hand and the bulb shatters. He lets his ring of keys fall out of his hand, ignoring the loud ching noise they make when they hit the wooden floorboards of the basement. All he wants to do is leave, so he runs. He sprints out of the door, leaves it hanging open, and runs up those big stone steps, taking them two at a time, and he doesn't stop until he makes it back to his car. Epilogue. As the story goes, Jim quit his job not long after the incident. They say he couldn't handle being around there, and he refused to go inside Carbrillo Hall again. He usually avoided even walking near the place. All that Jim could think of was getting away from the place where it all happened. He followed some ancient instinct that he said he'd had brushed up against something dark and unsettling, and all he could think of was just to push it back into the darkness and the past. To try and forget about it, to ignore the dreams where it reemerges, to press it into the night and pray that it won't wake up and creep into the day. But the story doesn't end with Jim. They say this all happened in the late 1970s, back when Cabrillo Hall stood on the original site where Madame Tingley had it built. A few years later, the entire building was moved across the road, relocated to the place where it currently stands. A team of workers was hired to take Cabrillo apart, board by board, dismantling it with care so that it couldn't be reassembled. They say that something turned up when the construction team got down to the basement. As they were pulling up those wooden floorboards underneath the building, the workers found something half buried in the earth, a human skull. 
It had been lying face down, right underneath the floorboards in the center of the basement, where Jim was standing on that foggy June night. They say the skull's jawbone was hanging wide open, as if it were screaming and screaming for all eternity. Also from Holy Ghosts, True Tales from a Haunted Christian College, Copyright 2015, David J. Smith, All Rights Reserved, Partial Reading from Chapter 20, The Visitor, PLNU Campus, 1998, by David J. Schmidt. On this late Friday afternoon, the only sound Lewis can hear is the rhythm hum of his vacuum. The early shades of dusk cast a soothing, heavy orange light on the carpet here on the third floor of the building. Mottled shadows of tree branches dance across the cubicle dividers around the janitor. Outside the window, a crow cause. All the employees have gone home for the weekend. The cafeteria is closed for the evening. The entire complex turns into a ghost town. This makes it easy for Lewis to get lost in his thoughts. He finds this time of day to have a sedative quality about it. The warm light invites you to forget about your cares. After Lewis has locked all the doors, the three-story complex becomes still and quiet like a cathedral. Lewis methodically pushes the vacuum back and forth, up and down the rows between the office cubicles, feeling the hypnotic buzz of the handle in his hand. He thinks of a TV show he saw with a Zen Buddhist monk raking his rock garden and chuckles. Zen Master Lewis, abbot of the Shalon Temple of Point Loma. Lewis does a mock bow like he's seen in Kung Fu movies. Then he stops and looks up. The old man is standing there staring at Lewis. He doesn't look like an intruder or a vagrant. His clothes are clean, his silver hair combed neatly back across his head. White shirt, tan slacks, and a slight paunch. Lewis guesses the man to be about 80 years old. Without breaking eye contact with the man, Lewis bends down slowly and shuts off the vacuum cleaner. Hello? Lewis says, more like a question than a greeting. The old man is silent. How did he get in here? I locked all the doors before I brought the vacuum up here to the top floor. Can I help you? Lewis asks. The man just stands and stares at Lewis. The setting sun casts a long orange rectangle of light across the carpet at Lewis's feet. The stranger is standing just beyond this light. His presence doesn't feel threatening at all. As he looks at Lewis, a benefit grin is on his wrinkled face. Look, sir, I'm afraid you can't be up here right now, Lewis says. If you need help, I can go call security and they can help you. Lewis turns to look out the window. Maybe one of the public safety officers will be walking by outside. When he turns back, the old man is gone. Nothing here but that long orange rectangle of sunlight on the carpet. A crow cause again outside the window. One more story from Holy Ghosts. True Tales from a Haunted Christian College. Copyright 2015. David J. Schmidt. All rights reserved. Partial reading from Chapter 10, Dark Nights in the Dorm. Here is Part 1 of 3, The Face in the Window. 
not all of point loma's ghost stories are associated with the old historical parts of the campus. some of the phenomena occur in modern buildings as well my friend who experienced this gave me permission to publish his account on the condition that i not use his real name for privacy's sake he requested that i refer to him in this book as dark part one the face in the window campus of the haunted college 2001 Dirk's first week of school goes by as normally as possible. He comes to school as nervous as any first-year student could be expected to be, but he soon finds it easy to fit in. He gets his class schedule, figures out the layout of the campus, and meets his roommates, Paul and Steve. Dirk is assigned to live in Young Hall, the dormitory closest to the ocean. This is a surfer dorm the carpet in the hallways smells like salt water, wetsuits hang in the showers, and Jack Johnson's music seems to be playing on a constant loop. Dark claims the top bunk bed with Steve underneath him, and Paul sleeps in the bed nearest to the window. Campus is just as Dark had expected it to be. Friendly students, helpful professors, and a cafeteria full of all the pizza and bagels his heart could desire. Everything seems very normal, until one night. Dirk had been at Point Lomas for nearly a month. After a late night studying, he and his three roommates lie sleeping in their dorm room. It's quiet. Suddenly, Dirk is awoken by a sound. It's Paul's voice, shouting in the dark. Make him go away, Paul says. From the bed underneath, Dirk can hear Steve asking Paul what is the matter. Get the guy out of here, Paul keeps repeating. You've got to get that guy out of here. Get him away from me. What are you talking about? Dark asks, still groggy and bleary-eyed. What guy? The guy at the window, Paul responds, pointing at the window. Get him out of here. He sounds seriously distressed. Dark looks across the room in the dark, opaque glass of the window. There is no sign of anyone there. No sound but the waves crashing against the cliffs outside. Paul lies beneath the window, eyes wide open, jabbing a finger into the air. There's somebody at the window, man, he says. Some guy at the window, and he won't leave me alone. He keeps staring in the window. Dirk can see the white of Paul's eyes in the darkness of the dorm room. Dirk is about to climb out of bed and walk over to the window to make sure everything was all right. Then he remembers one chilling fact. Their dorm room is on the second floor. There's no way anybody could have gotten up that high. There are no drainage pipes or ledges. No way to climb up to our window. Dirk can see in the dark glass with the ocean horizon in the distance, the moon reflecting off the water. Paul must be waking up from a bad dream, Dirk tells himself as he pulls the covers up and lies back down. That's got to be it. I mean, he's not the type of guy who would do drugs or anything. It's a bad dream. That's the only explanation that can be, right? To read part two and three of this story, as well as many, many more stories, click on over to Amazon.com or HolyGhostStories.com to purchase Holy Ghosts, True Tales from a Haunted Christian College as well as many other books written by David J. Smith.
Thank you so much, David, for your permission to read these stories on my podcast, It's Just a Ghost. And if you haven't listened to episode 12 yet, you might want to check that out to hear my interview with David J. Smith about his book, Holy Ghosts. Hello there. I just have a little add-on that I'm putting on to all of the old episodes. We have a new website address. It is... It's just a ghostpodcast.com. And we also have a new email address, and that is it's just a ghostpodcast at yahoo.com. So if you heard a different email or website address in this episode, please ignore that and use the new one. Again, the email is it's just a ghostpodcast at yahoo.com. And the website is it's just a ghostpodcast.com. Thank you so much. As always, please email us your paranormal experiences to It's Just a Ghost Podcast at Yahoo.com and we will read them on an upcoming episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. You can help us grow and get our name out there by telling your friends about us, and we would be thrilled if you would leave us five stars. This helps people find us out there in the sea of podcasts. It's all free, so why not, right? You can follow us on Facebook at It's Just a Ghost Podcast and on Twitter at It's Just a Ghost 2. That's the number 2. And also on Instagram at It's Just a Ghost Podcast. Remember, ghosts are people too. Until next time.